My name is Carrie Lloyd, and um, finally she's getting her words onto uh, the audio capacity of the cyberspace world. So um, I'm going to be covering all manner of subjects, and not just about sex and relationships like I used to. Now we're going into the world of humans in general. We talk about hard-hitting topics. We talk about sex and politics. We talk about drinking and thinking and not thinking and being and doing and why are we here? Hello friends, um, here we are. I am currently sitting next to a new friend that I've made this week. I keep on bringing people that I've only known for a few weeks, but we did meet a couple of um, years ago. So I'm with Michael Hutchins, who is part of Global Awakening. Uh, if you know anything about Randy Clark and Global Awakening, you'll be aware of this man too. Um, and just tell us a little bit about yourself before I tell people what we're doing today. Okay. My name is Michael Hutchings. The British have trouble putting the chain on the end of it, but that's okay. Uh, I am originally from Illinois. I uh, have a background both in pastoral ministry as well as uh, was a licensed clinical therapist for a few years while I was church planting. I, uh, first of all, I have an amazing wife, Roxanne. I have three amazing children, five grandchildren, and I'm amazingly blessed to do what I get to do. Uh, I am originally from Illinois, but I currently live in Pennsylvania, where I am the Director of Education for Global Awakening, which is Randy Clark's ministry. So I get to supervise and direct both the School of Supernatural Ministry, as well as many of the online education programs. So basically, I met Mike this week um, and just caught up with him again because he actually is involved in uh, the healing conference that we have here in Redding, California. And uh, Randy Clark and Bill Johnson are good friends, so uh, it's always lovely to meet people that come in for a week and and glean from their wisdom. And last night I had you, Mike, with my team, and we were questioning you a lot about this particular subject that you've been running after for quite a while now, and that's PTSD. Now, as a pastor, I've only just started to sort of look into this area myself, being more than aware now that this actually affects more people than just war veterans. Mm-hmm. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about why you started to look into PTSD and what was it that sort of just started your journey in the journey of healing PTSD? Well, Randy and I have walked in the healing journey that is actually believing that when you encounter somebody who has some kind of physical pain or disease, that uh, we can ask the Holy Spirit to bring healing to them. And actually, instead of putting them on a prayer list, we actually, at that moment, pray for them. We ask them to look at us, and we sometimes will lay hands on and and pray for them or just pray for them uh, while they're standing there. But we believe in the immediacy of prayer ministry that when we pray for somebody to be healed, that they can be healed right then. And so I've been walking this journey with Randy for uh, 30 years. We were both Baptist pastors back in the 80s when we learned about John Wimber and the vineyard. And he's the one that really taught us about things like a five-step prayer model, you know, how to, how to pray for people to be healed. We've been doing that quite a while. As I came on staff with Randy, I traveled with him to different events and was at an event in November of 2012 where uh, we were doing a healing school and uh, there was a gentleman who was actually serving as a church security guard for for Randy while he was there. And he came up to me and said, would you ask Randy 
if he would pray for my PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. He had served in Iraq for a number of years. He had retired, and after retirement, his post-traumatic stress got quite a bit worse. I went to Randy and I said, hey, Randy, this is the deal. He wants you to pray for him. Randy looked at me and said, well, Mike, I'll stand with you in prayer. And he pointed his finger at me and he says, but I want you to pray for him. And I said, well, since he's my boss, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> um, I don't know that I'd ever prayed for anybody with trauma before. As yeah. a matter of fact, uh, I don't, post-traumatic stress, how veterans deal with it was not even on my radar, mm -hmm. Carrie. Okay. But as this man came, uh, what Wimber always taught us in prayer ministry is the first thing you ask is, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do here? And so as I, because I was a deer in the headlights, I didn't know what right. to pray. So I began to pray for him, and I got this download from the Holy Spirit of steps to walk through. In a very short amount of time, he began to shake and tremble. He fell to his knees, his eyes rolled back in his head, and he came up, he was suffering with chronic nerve pain, he was suffering with anxiety attacks, he was suffering with insomnia, nightmares, night sweats, night terrors. Uh, he could not sleep with his wife in their own bed because he would have nightmares in the middle of the night being in, in the battlefield and he would hit her and wow. actually attack her. And uh, at the end of the prayer, he came up and he said, I feel complete peace. Well, because we're in a conference, I was like, well, that's great. Praise God. And he just kind of went on from there. The next day he came up, and I'm telling you, he was the happiest man in Illinois. Wow. He had slept all night. He had no nightmares, no night tremors, no night sweats. All wow. of his chronic nerve pain was gone. And he says, I don't know what's happened, but I am completely at peace. I feel like I did when I was a child. So it was, we were excited. It was a great testimony. But honestly, Carrie, it was like, okay, well, we move on, right? Right. So fast forward to January of 2013, we're here at Bethel, and basically a veteran comes up for prayer for chronic nerve pain, mm. and he had been in a walker and in a wheelchair, uh, and he came up to have Randy pray for him. Randy called my name and said, I want you to come and pray for him. I walked him through the same prayer, and he was completely freed of all of his chronic nerve pain, all of all of the things, the suicidal thoughts and things like that completely left Amazing. him. And it became kind of like a milestone testimony. Uh, you can actually find this testimony on YouTube. It says, Man Healed of PTSD. And they can find it, it like And they can find it on YouTube. Yeah, okay. they can find it on YouTube. So uh, after this occurring a number of times, once again, I'm like a deer in the headlights. Yeah. And Randy says, you know, Mike, I think you've got something there that's obvious. There's an empowerment of the Holy Spirit on you to do this. Mm. And you seem to have some kind of a prayer model. You need to kind of write that down and you need to maybe think about doing that more. And so I began this journey of actually finding out about what God was doing after the fact. Wow. I would see God doing these things. The steps that I was doing, I was dealing with shame and guilt and survivor's guilt and dealing with brokenheartedness that mm. basically is the Bible's way to describe trauma. I was dealing with things like uh, demonic spirits that were uh, fear and trauma and torment and things like that. And these were all downloads from the Holy Spirit. Wow. And then as I began to go back and basically research secular work on trauma, I began to find out, okay, that's what I'm doing. Right. 
And that's how this journey began. Because that's what's so interesting to me, because most of the people, friends that have had PTSD, um, uh, and each year um, it's likely that some students in our school will have been suffered from PTSD, but I'm not sure whether we've got to the level yet where we can make a distinction between mental health, um, general just bad experiences versus PTSD. Mm-hmm. And so one of the questions we were asking you last night was, what's the difference and how can you tell if someone's actually suffering from PTSD? Mm-hmm. So, And I loved uh, in, your answers in, to this. In the, in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, uh, which is actually is used by both medical doctors as well as psychiatrists and psychologists to diagnose certain mental and psychological disorders. There is a list of symptoms that uh, are used to help diagnose what's known as post-traumatic stress disorder. And it actually now has its own category as a stress disorder uh, that people go through. So the thing you have to remember about a mental illness is that, that things happen that, um, that are not just symptomatic, but it's, it's like a, a trend that happens in somebody's life in the way they react to things. Whereas somebody who suffers from trauma, they have very specific set of symptoms that you can ask them things like, how do they sleep at night? Do they have nightmares? Do they have night tremors? Mm-hmm. Do, do they have anxiety uh, when they get into a crowd? You know, mm-hmm. Do they have chronic nerve pain? Do they... Um, do they, do they feel threatened in certain situations? Those combination of symptoms can lead to an understanding of post-traumatic stress. Whereas somebody, let's say, with bipolar disorder, yeah. they have more of a roller coaster ride of emotions where it's up and down, up and down, and, and they may be super excited and high and happy, and then the next day are very um, almost depressed. depressed to the place of suicidal almost. Right. And... And those are folks that have a real history of that. Um, With trauma, with post-traumatic stress, you can generally go back to where the trauma began. Mm. That is, they were were not symptomatic before. Yeah. They're symptomatic now. Whereas bipolar... Now, granted, I understand that people in their teenage years and young adult years can develop bipolar disorder, but generally you can go back and find, particularly for people with trauma, you can find a trauma or a series of trauma that actually started the symptoms of what they're going through. So with their um, ability to... Because it feels like to me that there's almost levels of PTSD. There is. Oh, very much so. So I'm, you know, can you have pretty pretty well-functioning people on PTSD? You do. But then just something triggers them that gets a rage reaction or anger or... You were mentioning rage actually as well yesterday. So, first of all, Carrie, everybody Mm. has trauma. Yeah. I think that's good for people to know. Everybody, everybody has trauma. It's easy for us to just sit in our chairs, cross our arms, and right. think that it's someone else's. Right. No, it's everybody has trauma. And as I shared with you, the three indicators that help us understand how people prevent their trauma from haunting them later on in life are they come from a strong family, mm-hmm. they come from a strong faith, mm-hmm. and they're actually able to talk about the traumatic things that they've been through. Right. Um, if they're not, if they don't have those 
kind of three uh, three things to lean on, then it's more possible for the trauma that they've experienced to continue to affect them. However, there are very high-functioning individuals mm. that have tremendous amount of trauma, but they have been able to channel that energy or they're using other things to deal with their pain. Mm. So for instance, you have owners of companies, you have leaders in the church, you have all sorts of folks that would be considered to be very high-functioning individuals, mm. but in the background, they may have an addiction, Yes. They may rage on a regular basis. Right. They may have all sorts of problems. I, for instance, I had the opportunity, the, the privilege really, to talk with a group of African American entrepreneurs, and they were all millionaires. Wow. But each one of them. Of Are the, they all married? What well, that's. <laughs> each one of them, of, of the nine that were there, all confessed to having some form of post traumatic stress disorder. Some of them uh, treated their pain through addictions like drugs and alcohol. Some of them treated their pain through pornography. Some mm. of them treated their pain through workaholism. Some treated their pain through just success that somehow that made it. But ultimately, they all had, they were very, they were very symptomatic of post-traumatic stress disorder. So back to your original point. Mm. Everybody has trauma. There are levels of trauma in regards to uh, how severe it is. Obviously, some of the most severe that I've encountered have to do with uh, military veterans or active duty soldiers, first responders like firefighters, police officers, mm -hmm. um, emergency medical technicians, or uh, people who have been involved in some kind of ritualistic abuse. Right. where it's been ongoing. But the most severe really has to do with military and first responders. Because you actually said with um, ministry, there are more suicide. The count for suicides for veterans yes. is worse than the people that have actually died in war. Yeah, here in America right now, we lose me. on an average 22 veterans or active duty soldiers a day wow. to suicide. And that is actually more than all of the losses that happen in both the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Right. Wow. And it's all attributed it's all attributed to untreated or uh, just not able to deal with the post traumatic stress disorder that they deal with. And yet you were telling me a story about a man who had been in extremely traumatic events as a um, as a soldier. A, as a soldier. And yet actually didn't and and managed to deal with these traumatic events incredibly well considering so talk about that a little bit so he and his company were uh, their job in Iraq was to take this huge machine called a buffalo and to go down the roads in Iraq and actually blow up the explosive devices that were created in order to kill the soldiers and in the midst of that, of course, they would have encounter some explosive devices that the machine, the, the vehicle itself, couldn't shield them from. So they saw a lot of injuries and some death. Mm. But because he came from a strong family, because he had a strong faith in Jesus Christ, and because he made his men talk about what they went through every day, uh, he did not have any post-traumatic stress, even though he had been deployed twice had seen lots of injury, lots of death, he was pretty clear. And it's simply because uh, he knew how to get... Uh, I have this phrase, Carrie. 
Hmm. And that is, he learned how to get the crazy out of his head. That's amazing. Every one of us have crazy up there. Yes. And we're afraid to talk about it because we're afraid somebody's going to call us crazy. That's how I make my friends, though. That's, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is if we get the crazy out of our heads, we find out that everybody else is yeah. crazy too. Yeah. And what, what's in our, what, the, what the devil is telling us is really bad and crazy actually is very common with everyone. And right. like you say, that's how we make friends, right? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And he learned how to get the crazy out of his head. Right. So um, one of the journeys, I mean, there will be some people that are listening today that um, will struggle just with the concept of healing through prayer um, because they're not believers. Um, or they are believers and they still haven't seen any kind of miracle. Um, you see the miraculous probably almost daily considering what you go after in your life. And I, I, listened, to the, I listened to your prayer model and I, and I was thinking about scenarios where I've seen people with PTSD and the, the many months, years that they go through counselling, therapy, um, and not necessarily always that fruitful. Often it's sort of become almost their journey and their identity and they just don't know how to get out of it. So what's one of the most difficult challenges that you face going through this journey of healing people with PTSD? I think one of the more difficult challenges is just to be able to get to people who will allow me to pray. Right. Um, we have been trained in our therapeutic society mm. that counseling is the be-all and end-all. The problem is counseling and or medications never promise healing. And there is a, there's a very strong belief in the medical and psychological community that post-traumatic stress cannot be cured. It cannot be healed. Mm. It's something that counseling and medicine will help you cope, cope. with the symptoms, right. but you'll never be healed of it because much of medical science considers traumatic memories to be a traumatic brain injury. And so therefore it's permanent you and just cannot have to be deal changed. With it. Yeah, you just have to deal with it. So to get people convinced that the, the power of God is there to heal your soul, Mm. and to get you to a place where mm. you no longer have to deal with this anymore mm. is uh, it's a daunting task because um, I've been accused of being a snake oil salesman. I've been <laughs> accused of being somebody who doesn't know what he's talking about because I'm not a veteran. I'm mm. not a first responder. Mm. I, don't, I don't understand what these people are going mm. through. And uh, what I've learned is, first of all, I don't have to convince anybody well, you because, didn't really ask to do this. No, I'm not an expert. <laughs> no. I'm not an expert in this. This no. is not this is not my field, you know. Mm. At the same point, um, I don't feel like I have to convince anybody. I have something to offer. And That's if they're good. willing to take advantage of it, I'm willing to pray for them. Yeah. And if they're not, then I bless them and yeah. uh, we go from there. Does that does that answer? Yeah, your no, that's really good. And I think kind of just the the, the next question to attach to that is when you've got people that have, and this isn't to discount the journey or the terrifying, horrific things that they've experienced, you know, um, some of the, the counseling sessions and pastoral sessions that I've done um, are some of the most gruesome stories that I, I've just, you couldn't write this stuff. It's so horrific. Um, and, and you kind of get into that space of, God, I don't know how you're going to get out of this. Like, how could you possibly get out of this because you've been... 
Um, some of the girls that I counselled, the anti, you know, when I was doing anti-sex trafficking stuff, um, knowing they would be raped twenty times a night, and or the cult, the culture of sex trafficking and all that it would involve, and then being rejected because they were filled with disease, and so they were no longer useful, and all these different emotions that they go through the trauma and the just complete lack of trust for anyone, never mind homelessness and all this kind of thing. Um, but I see some girls get healed, whether it's from a prayer model like your own or they've, they've managed their thought life to believe in something beyond what they've experienced, then there are others that just, they try something, but there's almost a holding back. Like they just don't want to... The idea of freedom is actually too frightening. And to live in a PTSD, traumatic story becomes their identity. That's it's it. their story. That's it. So what do you do with this? Well, first of all, I... It, one of the things that I find to be another challenge is simply to help people see that the way that they have experienced life, the way that they have been treated mm. as people, the things that they have experienced do not define who they are. Yeah. So many people who have taken on trauma, a trauma victim mentality and identity, feel like, well, this is just who, part of who I am. And I, as I shared with you guys last night, you know, it's, it's like your identity is a, is a glass mirror. Mm. And if you hold it up to your face, you can see a pretty good representation of who you are. But when, what, tra what trauma does is it throws that glass mirror on the ground and shatters it into a hundred pieces. And what you try to do then is try to see who you are through the shattering of trauma, like and you get a really twisted view of yourself. Yeah. So then people live in their traumatic story mm. because they find that that's the story of their life. Mm. Well, God says, no, I have a dream for your life that mm. is not about that trauma. That indeed the dream of God is so big for you mm. that the enemy has been out to steal, kill, and destroy the dream of God for your life from the time that you came out of your mother's womb. Mm. So to help people unwrap the whole trauma thing from around their soul so that they can see who they really are mm. in God's sight. Uh, I'll, I'll share this really quick. One of my favorite bands coming up was a band named The Who. Oh, yes. And they had a rock opera. They did rock operas. They did Tommy. Yes. And then they did Quadrophenia. I remember. I got that on vinyl, would so you believe? So on Quadrophenia, there is a song called The Real Me. Yes. And it's this, they called them mods back then. Yes. They call them mods. And there's this teenager who is trying to find out who he really is. And the lyrics to the song is, he's going to his mom. He's going to his doctor. He's going to his preacher. And what he's asking is, can you see the real me? Hmm. And that's the cry of the song. He's looking for the real, the real me. And I find that so many people who've been traumatized actually decide to buy the devil's view hmm. of who they are. That is, they're these traumatized victims that will always be traumatized, that will never be able to live above that. Mm. When God says, no, I sent my son. This, it's interesting in Isaiah 61. Mm. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me 
because he's anointed me to declare the good news to the afflicted and to the poor. Mm. The very next thing that we know that this is Messiah says, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Brokenheartedness is trauma. Yeah. And so the very first people he goes after are the brokenhearted, the traumatized, mm. to establish their identity. And you continue on in Isaiah 61, and it talks about all these, all these folks that get restored and they get the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise instead of this, you know, all of that mm. stuff. They get this divine exchange from Jesus. Mm. And then at the end it says, now you are going to be the ones that go and restore the foundations. You're going to store the ruined cities. You're going to do this. You're going to be called the priests of the Lord. All of a sudden, this identity of what God really intended them to be comes forth after their broken heart has been healed. Wow. That's, I mean, that's powerful. Did I, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> that just was a little bit of a flow there. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, I, I literally, I think it feels like, you know, if you have a client or someone coming in or even a friend that um, has either just faced trauma mm -hmm. or it's trauma from 20 years ago, it feels like such a big subject mm -hmm. and it feels almost overwhelming for us as friends or people to stand by witnesses. We're not really sure what to do on these matters. So I think on this particular aspect, I, I probably would ask, what would you advise a friend that's watching their friend go through PTSD, has PTSD? Um, where would they start? So I think the first thing to do is to allow your friend to tell their story. Right. That's okay to hear it the first time. Yeah. They need to tell their story. Yeah. But at the end of that story, then to offer them the power of prayer mm. to bring healing to that so that particular story doesn't become the storyline of their life. Mm. See, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about literally altering the storyline of people's lives mm. who most of their life has been marked by trauma. Mm. So it's important that they talk about it, but then that you move on to healing. Mm. Because the lie that is given over and over again is, you'll never get rid of this. This is so awful. What you've been through is so awful. And it will just mark you. It will scar you for the rest of your days. Well, you may carry some scars from trauma, but you don't have to live with the effects of it that it continually, you know, I have scars on my body that I can look at them, they're there, yeah. but they don't hurt me anymore. I can punch them and I can do things to it yeah. and there's no, there's no pain there. At one time it was excessively painful and right. I could barely put a band-aid on it. Right. This is what Jesus does. He, there may still be a scar there, but it no longer hurts and I'm no longer remind. I can I can't even remember where I got most of my scars, right? Right. And that's what he does. He, you get to the places. Yeah, there was a time that I was I was hurt, but I don't really don't remember the details. And I've seen this over and over and over again. They remember something happened, but they can't remember the details anymore. So that's what I would do. I let them tell their story, and then I take them to the place of prayer and say, "Let's ask God to heal your broken heart mm. and bring healing to those memories and." restore you and get you to the place that you're really going to be okay again. It seems to be really important as well to be very peaceful at, at approaching it because I think there are sometimes that people panic with that story. 
I've seen it before where people sort of fix it with a scripture really quickly. They hear the story and then here we go. <laughs> just kind of, there isn't a peacefulness about it. It's almost like people are scared to share their crazy in their mess because they're worried that they're Well, they're afraid that they're going to get a religious, a, a religious response. Yeah, absolutely. Which is scripture, <laughs> we're going to fix you, and, and then we don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah, that's type it. of thing, right? Yeah. And the reality is, is that you and I can't fix anybody. Yeah. You, you and I can't fix ourselves. No, that's no. <laughs> true. So therefore, uh, to be so presumptuous as to think that sharing a scripture with somebody is going to somehow just automatically just take care of, you know, well, you just need to believe, Carrie, you just need to believe this yeah. and it's all going to be okay. That yeah. is, quite frankly, that's what particularly the evangelical church in America, has been so guilty of. Yeah. If you'll just read the Bible more, if you'll just pray more, and if you'll just go to church more, everything will be okay. Mm. And what that does is it completely makes the idea of healing the soul something that's like a formula yeah. that never gets to the depth of what's really injured people. Yeah. And ultimately, it's about healing the soul. You know, I call I call trauma a soul wound mm. because that's what it is. Mm. It's yes, it affects the brain. Mm. Yes, it can even affect the body, but ultimately, it's a soul wound, mm. and the soul is the access point by which we connect to God. Okay, beautiful. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So when our souls are broken, it's difficult for us to access God on a regular basis. Because we're kind of fragmented. We're in these pieces and we may connect with him here and there every once in a while. But there's just this real sense of disintegration. Mm. You know, there, the goal of, of, of a healthy life is to have an integrated life. Mm. Where everything kind of falls into place and mm. everything's connected. But the disintegrated life is one that has a bunch of pieces. And, you know, God's in there, Jesus is there, the Bible, church, all that other stuff, but it's all a bunch of pieces. Mm. And we may encounter him here and there, but in terms of the wholeness, the shalom, mm. you know, shalom doesn't just mean peace. Mm. The Hebrew word that most of us call peace, it literally means wholeness in every area of life. It's a covenant blessing. Peaceful. For those who walk in covenant with God, they shall experience shalom which is wholeness in your soul, mm. wholeness in your relationships, wholeness in your family, wholeness in your finances, mm. wholeness in everything. So the goal of being a disciple of Jesus is to come a place where not only we obey him, but that we experience the wholeness that he provides when he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life mm. and have it more abundantly. You mentioned um, when you were talking about scars, and I was thinking about, um, metaphorically, people will look at their scars and the, the process of feeling unworthy, not enough, unlovable because of our scars, because of our trauma. It's almost, and you mentioned as well about the layering of trauma. So you can have trauma, that, that an incident that happened 20 years ago, but because we didn't process that well, we didn't process pain very well. Um, and I wouldn't mind just talking to you briefly about processing pain. Um, especially if I know, for example, 
someone that I'm I'm covering and guiding is about to experience a traumatic experience. Um, but there's something about this this lack of worth in ourselves once we've experienced trauma. For me personally, um, yes, I went through sort of five tragedies when I was in my twenties, back to back for about eighteen months, and my father, my uncles, and. And I, I absolutely, you know, years ago used to have that as my story and almost excuse my behaviour because of it in the sense of I didn't really want to take responsibility for certain reactions or, you know, I was very independent, protected myself an awful lot. Going through a lot of that trauma made me want to be very self-protective. Um, but I look back at that time and I look back at the years after that and think because I didn't deal with the trauma well and because I didn't deal... I thought that all of this trauma was something to do with me. I had welcomed it in. I had done something. It's a, I think it's a form of control, really. If we think that we were to blame for it, then maybe we can do something about it. And there's something very powerless um, in trauma that makes you then want to blame yourself because then you can feel powerful again. But in that journey, I then attracted, and I don't know whether you see this, but then I attracted almost more... The, the I don't believe we attract like attracts like I think we attract what we think we're worth yes that's exactly right so if if that's why I sometimes see with people who with severe trauma they're almost attracting severe trauma happening again but it will be manifested differently whether it's toxic relationships or um, financial Mm -hmm. instability or addiction and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing because we're not valuing ourselves Mm -hmm. Um, do you see that happen regularly yeah I mean The reason why you find, for instance, I'll just use women as an example. Sure. Where you find women who were maybe abused as children. Mm. The first person that they connect with happens to be an abuser. They end up marrying an abuser. They finally escape that abuser. But sure enough, they end up with another abuser, Mm. just in a different way. And it's, it isn't a conscious thing. They're not it's wanting not a conscious that to thing, happen. But yeah. it's like there's this magnet inside of them that that particular kind of person is who they feel like they're. The, that's the only kind of person that they are worthy right. to have, because the 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 line in their life story is this is all I am worthy to have. Right. So how did they change it? Because well, we've talked about neuroplasticity and we've been talking yeah. about the rewiring of the brain yeah. and neuroscience. So maybe touch on that a little bit. Well, so the, the message of Jesus when he first appears on the scene in Mark 1, 14 and 15 is, he says, hey, I'm here. I'm here. I've got good news. And the good news is uh, that God's here and he's here to reclaim his earth. So repent and believe the good news. The word repent is the word metanoia, mm. which literally means change the way you think. Now, as a Baptist, I grew up as a Baptist boy. I thought so repent- did I. Not well, a boy. Yeah, yeah. Not well, a Baptist, boy. Baptist, Baptist, Baptist girl. <laughs> but you know, at least in, in our American Baptist churches, uh, if you wanted to repent, you had to go to the altar and cry over your sin and say, mm. oh, I'm really sorry. Most of the time we did that because we'd gotten caught doing something bad and we <laughs> yeah. needed to just kind of clear the air and so so anyway so the idea of repent had to be had a very religious connotation to it and it had to do with being really sorry for something that you did whereas the kind of repentance that Jesus talked about is literally changing the way that you think about things so I heard I 
I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly who said this, but he said, you know, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about humanity. He came to change humanity's mind about God. Mm. Hmm. So part of the repentance is, first of all, we have to change the way we think about God. And, and Jesus was the ultimate expression of who God wanted us to know him as, and that is as a loving father. Right. <clears throat> then we have to change the way we think about ourselves. And the only way that is a balanced way to change the way we think about ourselves is we have to decide that what God says in his word about us is true. And then we take those phrases and those words and we begin to say, this is what my father says about me. Mm. See, I, I, I had a, a people-pleasing thing on me for a while. So I was always concerned about what everybody was saying about me and what they thought about me. But, I, but the problem was I wasn't concerned about what he thought about me. Mm. Once I was able to change the way that I thought about how I related to people and I was no longer a people-pleaser, I became really uh, intent upon knowing what my father said about me. So I underlined my Bible every phrase that had to do with who we were in Christ. And so when I began to literally change, Carolyn Leaf talks about neural pathways that are the, where memories are stored are neural pathways in our brain. And in those neural pathways are both the truth and the lies that we have believed about life. Mm. <clears throat> the lies, according to 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, are strongholds that have to be torn down. Mm. But you can't just tear them down. You have to replace them with the truth. Mm. So the truth about me before was, I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a worm that God loved me, but I don't deserve it. Now, but that's not really what the Bible says about me. What the Bible says about me is that I am a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. All things have become new. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You know, there's, I'm a beloved child in whom he is well pleased. I've been forgiven. I've been accepted. I've been beloved. So how that changes is we begin to believe what God says about us. And eventually that gets us on a path of moving away from what our experience has told us about ourselves. And we begin to experience what God says about us. And that actually begins to rewire the brain so that when tough things are still going to happen to us, Carrie. Mm -hmm. what? So, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry to give you <laughs> that revelation. But there are going to be some tough things that happen to us. So you, the default would be before this is that, well, I deserve this. This is, right. you know, I'm just a worm. This, you know, Well, when you begin to believe what God says about you, you say, well, you know what? I have a good father. Mm. He knows what's happening to me. He, he loves me. He's not going to abandon me in this. He's going to be with me, and I have nothing to fear. Mm. Do you see the difference? Yes, yes. So that's how that happens. Yeah. So that, that kind of brings me to the question of when someone is about to go through trauma, and I'm, I'm speaking in the sense of someone's facing um, a parent who's got a terminally... Now, if they're not getting a miracle, if they're not having right, right. divine healing... And you know, um, or they literally on the day, they call you up and they say they've passed. You know that person's now going to go through a journey of grief and mourning. And mm -hmm. it's always fascinating to me to watch 
how people start responding to that season of their life. Some suffocate it, some put it away. Some don't believe it's right to sort of mourn too much because it's too selfish. Um, others will uh, get very busy or turn to addiction. Whatever. There's so many options of how we could deal with it. And then I think we never really look at how Christ manages or processes pain enough. And looking at the times in the Gospels of how Christ managed pain, he certainly didn't avoid it. I'm sure there's a reason why it records the fact that he spat out gall on the crime. I'm sure there's a reason why it was documented. And that was that he was brilliant at facing his pain. And if only we watched a little bit, bit more of what he modelled, <laughs> uh, then I think we would... I think we'd process forgiveness better. I think yeah. we'd reconcile with people better. I think we would find more compassion for others in the moments where they've hurt us. Or at least that's what I found. I agree. So what do you think in regards to processing trauma? You mentioned about your friend who was very good at experiencing these traumatic things, mm -hmm. had mm -hmm. a solid family, had a faith in God, and, and had someone to speak to um, about it. Um, what if they didn't have a solid family when they were younger? Well, then that's where the church comes in. Okay, so community. That's where community in the church comes in, where we become family. Because they're, here's the thing. You either have people who don't have family, yeah. or their family is so dysfunctional uh, that in the midst of their grief, they're accusing each other. They're pointing fingers at each other. It's, mm. it's a very destructive type of a process. Mm. I've been through... You know, I've been through funerals where we had to bring in security guards to keep the family members from attacking each other wow. in front of the casket because there was such dysfunction in the family. Wow. But the, the believer whose father died was a member of our church. She was part of the family of our church. And in that, she experienced family certainly not from her blood family mm. but she experienced family with us because we comforted her we stuck with her we loved her we defended her from her family and helped her process so how, how do you do that well the first thing is you're present See, so I think being that's, honest with yourself about how you're really feeling. Yeah, you have to be present in the moment. Mm. And all of, the, all of the options that you gave were all lies and dysfunctional ways of responding yeah. to, a, to a traumatic thing. Number two, that the, the family, that the church family, whoever these loved ones are, that not only you make sure that they're present, but you make sure you're present. Offering up uh, <coughs> little phrases or little you know hallmark card phrases in trying to help them <coughs> actually creates nothing and many times actually causes more pain you know i can't tell you how many times i've heard somebody in a line of a funeral say well god just must have needed another angel oh gosh i know or you know he he needed another flower for his garden all of that I could call it a lot of things, but they're all lies, and they're actually hurtful. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, it's we, another way of avoiding pain. It's another way of avoiding pain, <coughs> trying to turn something positive. Totally. No, that, let, let's, let's just be candid. This loved one has died. We're not going to yeah. see them on the side of the veil. Yeah. And we're going to miss them terribly. Yeah. And there's going to be a void in our life for the rest of our days. That's the reality of what's happened here. 
we have to deal with that. But we also live as people who have hope that if they have known Christ, we're going to see them again. And our hearts, as Paul says, our hearts will rejoice. And or No, Jesus said, our hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. So there's the hope of joy, but at the same point, you've, you've got to really deal with just how awful this is. And you have to let the people that you're helping so you're the person who has a friend who's going through it. You have to let them know that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to go through the stages of grief. Denial, you know, sorrow, uh, anger. It's okay to go through all those stages because that's the way God actually created the human soul. Yeah. It's one of the things that I actually rightly or wrongly do uh, when I've got a girlfriend that's just faced something pretty tough or a male friend that's focused, you know has faced something I'm normally the first one to go around with a baseball bat or some punching gloves and let's find somewhere to just get this out I think it's <laughs> awesome I think because, that's so healthy and there's I really quite do. nice I remember someone saying to me if you need to go to a field and just scream it out we'll yep. do it and some of my interns when they're mentoring my students they'll go and find a space and just let it out you know and it's why, and they look different, and they, it's almost sometimes there's deliverance in that moment. There as is well. no, there is. Absolutely. But it's it's pretty wild, and I just don't know why we don't give enough space or enough room to just allow us to have that feeling because the heart just holds on to feelings until it feels like it's had a voice. I feel well, and see that's what causes. Let's go back to post traumatic stress for a minute. Mm. What causes an ongoing effect of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress is that you have held on to all of that in your heart and it literally corrodes your soul yeah to the extent that you're living with all of that pent up sorrow horror rage whatever it is it's all there and eventually it has to leak out someplace and it is so much better to get it out get it processed as soon as the, the trauma has happened so that they can move on from there. Like, right. Let me give you a real quick example. Yeah. of, And, and this is, has to do with conflict. Okay, great. I grew up <clears throat> in a house where it was peace at any cost. And oh, boy. Peace at any cost. So we never fought. We never argued. It, you know, it was just my parents and myself. Anytime my parents actually had an argument, I thought it was the end of the world because I yeah. never heard them yell at each other before. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they're going to get divorced. My wife grew up in a family of screamers. They, she had, she had five, you know, she had four siblings. She grew up in a, a family of, of five children, and uh, her mother's family, in particular, they'd scream and yell at each other all the time. They'd come to all these events. They celebrated every holiday together, and at some point, somebody would get mad at somebody and yell and scream at each other. But what they learned to do was they would yell and scream, get it all out in the open, and then. They'd be fine. Then it was fine. Everything was fine. Me, I didn't know how to do that. And so it took my wife and I a lot of years to finally find a place where I could be honest about how I felt. And I could, we could actually have conflict in a healthy way. Yeah. And it really freed and deepened our intimacy. Yeah. Which was really powerful. So I'm just saying that it's so much better in preparation for a trauma as well as afterwards to let the person get it out. So true. It's a, it's a fearless act, I think. It is. I think some people are just very nervous that if they open the gate, it will never close. 
but just experiencing the journey of just not wanting to face it, keeping very busy, um, focusing on the career, <laughs> felt like the right thing to do. And then uh, when I actually finally sat down with the grief of that, those tragedies I was talking about, or finally sat down with some of the heartbreak that I'd gone through, or just the disappointments in life, I'd cried out like a sort of real belly cry and go, gosh, is this all that we needed to do? <laughs> like, I didn't realize that... How that, much that, you could actually get over it that uh, yes, easily, exactly. right? exactly. It's exactly. kind of... It's like, wow, if only I just allowed myself to just have the feelings all the way through, I probably would have done... I would have made different life choices, I yeah. think. But you mentioned about Caroline Leaf, and I've just started reading her book, Switch Your Brain On. And I'm into chapter five, and I'm already absolutely hooked. I'm fascinated with just how our thoughts can change our physiology, can change the outcome, and the life decisions that we're doing. So um, I loved your recommendation. I'm so glad that you told it to me. But thank you so much for doing today. If people want to find you or your stuff, because you've got a DVD on teaching how to pass it through PTSD, yeah. where can they find you? So I, I have a, a three and a half hour seminar that's both on DVD and CD. Uh, and it's called Healing Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, or PTSD. You can find it on globalawakeningbookstore.com. Globalawakeningbookstore.com. And you just look up Healing PTSD, and you'll find materials there. Uh, there's also a Facebook page called God Heals PTSD. And that has a lot of the testimonies, both video and written, of people, both military first responders, as well as civilians who've been healed of trauma awesome. through the way that we've, we've prayed. Um, and there's a book coming out this spring that will be basically deal with all that I deal with in the seminar. And Carrie, you know that my heart is not to pray for everybody with trauma. Yeah. I want to equip an army. You know, I want to equip an army of people who will be able to not be intimidated by people with trauma, but Come instead on, bring healing That's and it. restoration through Isaiah 61 to see the brokenhearted healed and restored and step into their identity as true children of God. I'm so happy to be a part of that army. Kathleen's sitting next to me. I know she's up for being part of the army. Yep. Amen. Um, Amen. Thanks so much. We love you so much. And um, finally, can you just tell me, one of the wildest miracles you've seen in front of your eyes. So I was in. Because I'm sure you've got stories. I was in Brazil. <laughs> the one that comes to my <laughs> mind just back up now, is I was here. in Brazil, and a mother brought a baby to me, and this baby had this huge tumorous growth on the side of its face, and uh, the mother wanted prayer for this tumorous growth, so I laid my hand on the growth. And I began to rebuke cancer. I began to rebuke any kind of tumor or any, any kind of assignment of the evil one against this baby. And I could literally begin to, to feel the tumorous growth get hot under my hand. And I began, my hand started out like this. And I could feel it just go like this. Stop it. And when I got done, there was still about 5 to 10% left of a little bump. Yeah. But it had been, it was like, it was like that. Wow. And then it went completely down and uh, the baby was completely healed. Wow. That is amazing. See, people might be hearing these since they've never seen it before. They need to come to one of your conferences. They do. Because they'll see that stuff. That's right. Because, you know, back in the day as an atheist, I never used to believe that stuff. Now, now I've seen stuff like this happen. I'm like, tell me more stories. (laughs) (laughs) So, thank you. 
My You're privilege. an absolute treat. Thanks for teaching us. Yeah, it's my privilege. And, and we'll thank have you, you again sometimes. All right. Very good. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> Thanks for checking into the Carrie Lloyd podcast. Um, if you loved it, share it. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Carrie Gracie, Facebook at uh, Carrie Lloyd, and Twitter at Carrie Gracie. Um, we do have a website which is CarrieLloyd.net. And if you have any questions of any sort, um, then you can just email me at Carrie at CarrieLloyd.net. <laughs>